Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I think one, of the, one thing that's important is that if we're going to hear somebody's voice, it's important that there is some close proximity, that there's some closeness. Because if we're not close, it's, it's a little bit hard to hear. And so today I, I want to speak to you from this idea of one switch away. You're one switch away. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God. Lord, we just invite you to examine us. Lord, to transform us as we dive into your word that, Lord, that we would absorb its truth. Lord, that we would meditate on what you're speaking today. I pray you'd give us a focus, you'd give us an alertness, that we can really lean into what you have to speak to us today. Lord, help us to to get a little closer today, that we might hear your voice. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that every word that comes from my mouth would be from your heart. And that, Lord, that we would not leave here the same. Lord, people came here needing uh, uh, different things. People have come in in different seasons of life, and I just pray that you would meet each and every one where they're at and that they would not be disappointed that they came. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, uh, many of you guys have... you guys have known that our air conditioning, we kind of have this love-hate relationship with our AC. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember when all those fires were taking place, our AC was out. And so my, my house was loaded, uh, thanks to the Kyochos, uh, with box fans and filters. And uh, just trying to keep, you know, some type of quality of air in our house. Because Livermore, you guys remember the air was really, really bad. And we finally got to the end of all those fires, and it turns out that... I just needed to change the filters. And as soon as I changed the filters, things just fired right up. Couldn't believe it. But it was at the end of that season. So we head into the summertime, and once again, our AC goes out. Suffering. It's been, it's been a hot little, little stretch over the last couple of months, right? It's been pretty brutal. And, uh, and so I, I did everything that I knew how to do. I tried the filters, right? That's what worked last time. I thought, surely that's going to work this time. Uh, I, I went out with this metal rod and stuck it inside the little fan area and tried to jam that thing and make it spin. Then, you know, you get frustrated and just kick it a couple times because my father-in-law said, man, kick that thing a few times, see what happens. And so nothing happened. And, uh, and so, so we just kind of went on with life. And you might be asking, well, why didn't you let your landlords know? Well, they... they allow us to have a very good rent. And so we don't want to mess with that. You know what I mean? Because air conditionings can be a lot of money. They're like, yeah, we'll fix your AC and we'll raise the rent like 500 bucks. And so, so it could have been a little bit of fear. But nevertheless, we just kind of started getting used to the madness until recently I knew we were going to have like this 104 days. So I was like, man, maybe I better get this fixed. So uh, one, a dear friend of ours, they work on our church. I asked him, I said, hey, man, can you just come over and just look at this thing? And he said, yeah, absolutely. So he comes over and, and he's looking, takes it apart. He says, it might be a capacitor. And I'm like, well, okay, can we get a capacitor? <laughs> and, and he's looking around and he's like, no. Checks a couple things. Says, uh, where's your breaker? I was like, go home. He's like, no, seriously, where's your breaker? I said, well, it's in the garage. And it's funny because I thought about it, but it's kind of buried. So I was like, no, I mean, everything else is working fine. 
And so we said, well, well, show me. So we got back to the breaker. He looked at me and he said, and the whole thing started up. So grateful to say, and this is our first week, and it's starting to cool down already. Come on, there's like a thousand sermons in this thing. But you guys got to understand, when we'd walk into our house, you know you walk in your house, you expect a, a breath of fresh air. There was no air in our house. You walk in, it's like, poof, just this heat wave would engulf you. Sometimes we'd want to go stand outside for a little bit just because it would be so hot. Because when it's really hot, it, it messes with you. Right? You can't sleep. Sleep is brutal. Every, we got ceiling fans going. We got more box fans going. It's like a repeat. Like, man, what in the world are we doing? And, and, it, and it's really uncomfortable because you start to get a little bit lazy. The heat, you get a little lethargical. I think, but the worst part of all is we got used to it. We just started to live in this perpetual state of Misery. Now, I, I know this is first world problems. People in, in other parts of the country have a lot worse. But I'm just saying, this is our reality over the last couple of months. And it, it, it's interesting because I think if we're not careful, many of us, we can find ourselves in the same place spiritually. You know, there, there's this place. I've talked to you about them a long time ago. But there's this place called the doldrums. L let me show you a picture on the screen. Now, the doldrums is where uh, the southern hemisphere and the northern hemisphere collide. Right at the equator. The northern hemisphere spins one way. The southern hemisphere spins another way. And when these two collide at this particular region from here and also here on the equator, what ends up happening is it cancels out all wind. There's no breath. There's no air. And so before technology, uh, motorboats, uh, before motorboats and all those types of things, when a lot of these guys would, would be out, here on sh out there on ships with their sails. Once they would get into the doldrums, they called it, there would be no wind, there would be no air, and they'd get stuck. Sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks. Doing all the right stuff. They got their sails up. They're doing everything they know how, but there's no breath. There's no life. There's no air. And so they called it the doldrums because... They would basically kind of go into a state of depression. It'd be frustrating. They'd be wore out because they're not going anywhere. They're stuck. And again, sometimes they would never get out of the doldrums. No food, no water. And I think, I think sometimes spiritually we can find ourselves in these doldrums. We can find ourselves in these spaces where it's so... There's just no breath. There's no life. Like, you're doing all the right things. You could be going to church. You could be serving on a team. You could be in a small group. You could be reading your Bible. You could be doing all of these things, but there's, there, there's still this, this lack of breath, this lack of, of closeness to God. There's, you know you're in the doldrums when you, you find yourself a little bit more anxious than normal. You, you find yourself a little bit more irritated with people. You're lacking vision. Your why is kind of gone of, 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 of why you exist and, and how God has created you and the purpose that God has called you to. It just seems to get lost in the doldrums. Anybody ever been there? And sometimes it's just because we're experiencing pain or we're going through some things in life. And, and it just doesn't feel like there's any wind. You're a little bit more subject to temptation. You find yourself a little bit more selfish. And there's really, in, in my opinion, there's really only one ultimate way out. Now, we could talk about a little things here and there, but there's this ultimate way that all of these other great things are pointing to. Because there's nothing worse when you're doing all the right things, yet there's still no life and breath. And there's, there's one thing that I, I really believe is, is kind of this, this ultimate, this undercarriage, this foundation of getting us out of 
the doldrums. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. It's intimacy with God. I think intimacy with God is something that we say. We say things like, you need a relationship with God. Most of us have such a distorted picture of relationship, we don't even know what that means. Intimacy simply means to be close. There's some greater definitions to that, but I, I love this one. One person said it like this, in to me see. It, it's a closeness, meaning there's, there, there's, there's, an, there's an honesty, there's a transparency, there's, there's I, I, we, we're close. There's, there's a closeness, in to me see. But, but I, I think sometimes we get this confused. Sometimes we could be doing all the right things but not be close to God. Did you know that? Like some of you guys feel it. Like you show up to church and you still feel so far away. Because I, I think we get intimacy confused. I, we get intimacy confused, if you're taking notes, with more knowledge. It, it's so much more than knowledge. We just think if we can just get some more knowledge, maybe that will change the game. Now, knowledge is important. But even Jesus said knowledge alone does not equal closeness. In fact, when he was talking to the Pharisees, he said you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So it's like, man, you search the scriptures, you know the scriptures, yet you're still far away from me. Now, don't get me wrong, knowledge is definitely important, but knowledge is only, uh, in, knowledge is only good as to the degree that it fuels our closeness with God. Knowledge of the scripture is good as long as it fuels our closeness with God, not our pride that drives us away from him. Because knowledge will do one of two things. It will fuel your closeness or it will fuel your pride. It's so much more than knowledge. People think that if I can just get, the way that I get close to God is I just accumulate more and more knowledge. And Jesus said, no, that's just not the case necessarily. It's, it's more than knowledge. It's not less than, but it's more than. There's also uh, this, this, I think, concept that maybe it's spatial. But I would tell you that intimacy is more than spatial. All of us know how it feels to be sitting next to someone yet so far away. Like some of you guys live in the same house with somebody, but you're completely distant from them. Like we all know how that feels. But yet you may have somebody 2,000 miles away that you feel super close to. Right? So, so space doesn't necessarily equal closeness. I think many times in this sense we, we utilize church or worship events or conferences and we think, man, maybe that's going to be it, right? This is, gonna, this is what's going to draw me close to God. Now, yes, those things can fuel your closeness to him. But those things in and of themselves do not have the power to conjure up nearness. They just don't. Again, that's why you could be at church, which is a great thing. You go to worship conferences, great thing. You go to different conferences. You can learn. You can grow. You can do all these things. You can put yourself in these positions where you're in proximity to God's power. But proximity to God's power does not equal nearness. I mean, we see the Pharisees, the religious leaders were in proximity to the power of God, yet they were still so far away. And so, so when we think about intimacy, what is it? What is, what is intimacy? What is the foundation of intimacy? Now, there's a lot of things that go into intimacy, but what is the ultimate foundation? If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. That intimacy with God it was, is a result of trusting in God. It's trust. 
Trust is the foundation of intimacy. We allow people to get close to the degree that we trust them and they trust us. If we're not trusting God, can I just tell you, there will be no intimacy. You could put yourself in every environment. And, and can I just tell you, man, as you open up God's word, man, God has the way of, as you're diving into his word, filling you with faith. However, however, if being in God's word is not moving you to a place of trusting in God to move out on his word. There's going to be a lack of closeness. There's going to be a frustration. There's going to be a lack of intimacy. See, when, when trust is broken, we all know this. When trust is broken, all of a sudden intimacy starts to erode. It may not be eradicated right away, but it starts to erode little by little by little. This is huge. Trust is so huge because this is the foundation piece. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, that trusting in God leads to a life of surrender to God. And this is where life is exciting. This is where there's lots of wind. This is where there's lots of breath is when there's a surrendered life. See, some of us, man, we're, we're, like, we, we love the concept of that. But we don't know what it's like to, to live a surrendered life because there's a breakdown in trust. And because there's a breakdown in trust, there's a breakdown in intimacy. And we find ourselves going through the motions but still lacking some wind. And, and I'm hoping today that you might be able to, to, to harness a little bit of that wind today. That might, you might rethink a few things. That you might reexamine a few things that, that we might get to this place of intimacy. Because, listen, trust is the foundation. Trust leads us to a life of surrender, and that's God's best life for you. That's exciting life. Even in the midst of craziness, it's the best life, a life that's surrendered to God. Again, I love the way John Tyson puts it. He says, surrender is an open posture of love. Surrender is based not on duty but on trust. It is a free response and attitude that is open to any and all possibilities our Father brings to us. Can I just ask you today, are you open to any and all possibilities that our Father would bring to you? And how would life be different if you were? Just think about that for a minute. You know, we, we looked at this passage last week. We've looked at it a tons of times. It's one of the greatest passages in the scripture. It, it's, it's an easy preach, right? It, it's, like a, it's like a quick little text message to send out to the masses and say, hey, this is the bottom line. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We all want straight paths. A lot of times when we read this passage, though, I, I thought this was kind of cute uh, this week. We, we kind of, we leave this part out and we get right to here. Let me, let me try to acknowledge him so we can make my path straight. But we forget we'll never acknowledge him in all of our ways if we don't get this right. If we don't trust in him. If we're not trusting in him with all of our heart and we're leaning on, our, then we'll lean on our own understanding. We won't acknowledge him in all of our ways, even though we may, we may be trying to. And guess what? Our paths are going to be crooked. Apart from trust, there's crooked paths. And so I think one of the greatest things, because the question then lies is, well, how do we cultivate intimacy with God? 
And I think there's a lot of different ways. I think all those things that I had talked about are great things. I think opening up God's word is a great thing. I think, you know, uh, utilizing your gifts, God works and moves in and through you as you're doing it. There's so many different ways, but it comes down, it boils down to the motivation and the closeness that we actually have with God. Are we doing these things from a place of closeness? Are we doing these things out of an act of repetition? It's a big difference. And we know the difference. We know that when we're doing it out of an overflow of God's love and our satisfaction that we find in him, the closeness and the intimacy that we find with him, and we also know what it feels like to do it outside of him where there's no breath, there's no wind, and there's no life. And so I think both a great gauge and a great catalyst to intimacy, a great gauge of intimacy and a great catalyst to intimacy is this idea of prayer, of prayer. Now, obviously, it's, it's really small on the screen because I think for many of us, this is the place that prayer takes in our life. It, it, it takes a, a very small portion of our day, a very small aspect, which we all would agree is important. We have, you know, the majority of us, uh, if you're new to church, maybe you're not too sure if prayer is important or not. We're glad you're here and we're hoping you get a better understanding of it by the time you leave. But for those of you who are following Jesus, we all have a knowledge of prayer. But how many of you guys know just because you have a knowledge of something doesn't mean that it's a reality. Like all of us know that prayer is, like, it's important. And we, 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 we're religiously to, to pray before we eat our meal. How many of you guys still struggle with that? Like you're like, man, I want to dive in. And oh, fine, God, in Jesus' name, just bless this food, right? We say the same thing over and over. Father, I just want to thank you for this food. Bless it to our bodies. We should play be nourishing. And really what we're saying is we're just hungry. But we know we're supposed to pray. And so I think if we're honest, there's some of you guys that you guys pray for four or five hours a day. You can just don't even listen to me on this point. But, but for, the rest of, for the rest of us that maybe it's a little bit of a battle, you're going to want to lean in. Because I think it, it, it makes up a very small portion of most believers' life. Like, we're more prone to read the Bible because we can get something instantly sometimes. Like, we, we get a word instantly. We get, we get something tangible. And that's the, the culture that we live in. But prayer, again, it's a little bit more like the soil that we talked about in the first message of the series where prayer sometimes is it's a little bit of a mystery. You don't always get to see the fruit right away. Sometimes there's this overwhelming sense of God's presence. Sometimes it feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. Sometimes it's just it can be a little bit of a mystery. And sometimes we just don't feel like we got time for mysteries. But it's so, listen, God takes prayer so seriously. Now, now let me just define this. Prayer simply communicating to God. It, it, there, there's a lot of different facets of prayer, but overarching, it's communicating to God. And the way that you communicate to God is going to be a little bit different than the way I communicate to God. Just like my kids, there are three little beautiful girls. They're all my girls, yet they all communicate to me in a different way. There's a different form and fashion of the way that they're wired and designed. And so I know when, my da- when one of my daughters is coming outside of her character, right? Like, uh, like when, when, if Abby were to come up to me and say, Father, I need to beseech you for this moment. It's like, Abby, what are you doing? Because <laughs> normally it's like, Dad, ah, right? She's going to jump in my lap. She's going to jump on my back. She's going to hurt my neck. Something like that's going to happen, right? That's how we communicate. And so prayer is simply communicating to God. It's, it's, it's having this open, honest communication with God. Sometimes we, we work so hard on that, the, the what we're going to say, we forget about the why we're even saying it. I think that happens a little bit more in public settings. But, but sometimes you get alone with God. And, and when's the last time that you were just honest? 
You just poured it out. You just let it out. It's, it's this, this idea of, of communicating with, with God. It's not complicated, but, but it's really important. It's, it's a great gauge of our intimacy and a great catalyst to intimacy. But it can also be repetitious if we don't understand what prayer is all about. But God takes it seriously, and I think we should take it seriously. Look what Jesus said. He said it this way. He said, but when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, everybody say shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Isn't that, isn't that just such a, a sweet sense? Like what the Lord is saying is, is there's a guaranteed spot for intimacy, that the Lord is waiting for you to shut the door. The Father is always waiting, longing to be close to you. Think about that for a moment. The God of all heaven, God of all creation wants to be with you. Let that sink in. That's huge. He says, listen, whenever you shut the door, I'm there. Saying this, God is waiting to commune. God is wanting intimacy with you and I. I love the picture because when you shut the door, it's private, right? Like if me and Jackie are arguing, hey, kids, shut the door, right? Because we want a private conversation. It just means private. When's the last time you argued with God? Sometimes it's the safest place. Can I just tell you he can handle it? Have you been that honest with God? You could just be like, we need to shut the door. You know what? Some of my most refreshing times. And then I get humbled real quick, like, I know you're God, but, you know, I'm just. <laughs> but it's so hard for us just to even imagine the concept of shutting the door. Because most of our hearts and lives look like this. It, it looks like Black Friday <laughs> at midnight. And everything is just coming into our doors. And we're like, Lord, I don't even know how to shut, shut the door. Shut the door. I, forget it. Come on in. Everybody. Everything. And, and it's such a struggle. And I think it's a struggle because a lot of times we, we don't shut the door because many times we don't know how. I think that's the greatest catalyst. It, it's a greatest, one of the greatest hindrances is the fact that we don't shut the door because we don't know how to pray. Like, what do, what do we do? All right, shut the door. So, uh, guess it's just me and you now. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know how to pray. I think sometimes we don't shut the door because we get bored quick. You're just in there and you're like, all right, Lord, well, uh, took about that whole three minutes and everything I needed to say. You know, and, and all of a sudden it's like, i got to pay the bills. Uh, oh, man, i got to return that call. Gotta, you know, if I don't go into my prayer time with a notepad next to me, sometimes it can be tormenting. Sometimes it takes me 15 minutes just to shut the door. But sometimes we, we just get bored. I think sometimes we don't shut the door because we think it's too small. Like, God, you got bigger things to deal with. You don't want to deal with me. I got this covered. It's just too small. I mean... Got bigger fish to fry. God's like, nope, you're it. I want to be with you. 
You know, I, I think sometimes we don't shut the door because we just simply, I think this is probably the overarching one. We just don't believe that God's behind the door. We just don't believe that when we shut the door, it's just, we really feel like we're going to just be alone. We kind of know the concept, like, God, we know you're there, but I really don't believe you're here with me. And so what do we do? We just keep the doors open and let everything else flood in, and we never shut the door. And we never experience this intimacy. We long for this wind. We long for this breath, but we don't shut the door. And, and okay, what if we do shut the door? Then what? Boom, door shut. Now what? Well, one of Jesus' disciples asked that very question. One of his disciples said, Lord, I, teach us to pray. And, and the Lord responded to him like this. He said, pray then in this way. He said, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And everybody said, amen. Now, what's really interesting is, is one of Jesus' disciples came before Jesus responded to him and asked, how do you pray? Which is really kind of a silly question because they grew up in an environment of prayer. They grew up in a very religious environment. But there was no breath, there was no wind, there was no fire, there was no life. It was religion. It was religious. It was repetition. So when they saw Jesus pray, they saw something different. They saw connection. They saw closeness. They saw power. They saw transformation. They saw things change. So they said, we want to pray like that. How, how do you pray like that? And when Jesus, you know, told them and, and, and said, this is how you do it. What's really sad to me is that this prayer has become highly religious. You know how many people are going to say this prayer today and have zero idea what it means? Thousands upon thousands, probably millions of people will pray this prayer today. But see, in Jesus' in Jesus's day, as he's explaining this to his disciples, this would have been Radical. Radical. Because it wasn't religious, it was extremely relational. And intimacy can only be fostered in relationship. And so it, it was extremely, extremely relational. So they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Just this first phrase, pray then this way, our Father. Whoa, time out. The word translated here is the word Abba, which means daddy. Like they lived in a time where you couldn't even write the name of God without being a heretic. And Jesus is saying, oh, man, you can come so much closer than that. Like you can literally call him dad. So, so for us, this prayer is very religious. For the disciples, it was extremely relational. And they were like, what? We can do, you, you mean we can call the, the holy one, the God who was sovereign over all things, the one who spoke the world out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing and created? Like, like, we can call the God of all creation dad? What? We don't want to pray like that. So Jesus goes in and he says, well, this is how you pray. Oh, go back. He says, this is how you pray. He said, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Set apart is your name above everything and everyone. 
Your name is above all things. Like I said, you are the creator. You are sovereign. You are holy. You are set apart. You are infinitely, uh, infinitely powerful, yet thank God you're infinitely holy. Like you are set apart. Come on, when you start to pray like that, all of a sudden it gets your, your mind fixed on what's really real. Your prayers start to get a little bit bolder get a little bit bigger when you realize the intimacy that you have and who it is that you're talking to. You just get a little bit bolder and braver. When I, when I was, uh, I was uh, eight, 18, right before I got saved, actually I think I just got saved actually, I just got saved. I came back and I went to a nightclub in Castro Valley, it was like this little like bar nightclub called Mugs. Anybody remember Mugs? <laughs> and I, I was at Mugs and it was just one of those nights where my my ex-girlfriend was there, like one of my brother's buddies was there that I was really close to. One of my other buddies that was like kind of a big deal in this region was there. And, uh, and I was talking to my ex-girlfriend, nothing like that, nothing bad. But these guys, I guess, that she was with, was, they weren't having that. And so I knew very well that as were, you know, that they wanted to not do nice things to me. And so, so I, I've, always been that, I've always been that kid that's like, all right, well, fine. If I'm going to get beat up, I'm going to get beat up. But I ain't going out. And I ain't going out like a punk, right? So I'm like, all right, well, let's go outside. And I felt a little bit bolder and braver because of my company. And sure enough, I'm walking out that door. I feel two hands pull me aside. Two people step in front of me. And guess what? Those guys left. And I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> and it's just, it's just when, you, when you realize who you're talking to, it changes the narrative. It changes the narrative, and so I, I got to get going. I'm going to stay too long on that. So he says, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So don't you notice we're not even talking about us yet. Just eyes fixed on God. I think so many times we're disappointed in our prayer life because we're praying our kingdom. We're so used to saying, hey, God, let me, let me, let me counsel you for a moment. This is, this is what really needs to be done. Go ahead, God, and uh, let me correct you on a few things. And uh, let me give you a list of what, you, you know, you are obligated to oblige by. And this is what I really need. And we're disappointed because many times we think we know what we need, but we really don't. What we really need is his kingdom come. What we really need is on earth as it is in heaven. That just changes the game. Let me give you an example of this of Exodus chapter 17. Uh, let me set the stage for you. Moses is leading the people out of slavery. They're, they're leading, he's leading them through the wilderness. And they come to this moment where the Amalekites attack. Are you guys with me? The Amalekites attack. Now, these guys have never been trained for battle at all. So the Amalekites attack. And what do they do? Like Moses has no experienced soldiers. So Moses simply says, when the Amalekites came... He said to Joshua, choose some men and go out and fight the Amalekites. He said, tomorrow, so what, what are you saying this? We can't deny the fact that this is happening. This is a reality. Like, we're going to be in battle pretty quick here. But he said, but how we're going to fight this battle is really important. And so he says, this is what I'm going to do. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with the staff of God in my hand. As long as Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. But when he lowered them, Amalek prevailed. One of the things I love about this is, is this is a great picture of prayer or intercession. And God is teaching his people how to depend on him. Can I just tell you that sometimes a physical act can release something spiritually. 
And so, so Moses, his first response is to pray. What, what Moses was saying is this is, this, is, this is so much bigger than us. This is, this is so above us. And Moses remembers when he got to the Red Sea, they were stuck. They were in a bad spot. God said, man, lift up your hands. Take that posture again. Surrender. Surrender. And so Moses' first response is prayer. What was Moses doing in that moment as Moses was shutting the door? Sometimes I think shutting the door, we just think of quiet, but sometimes we have to shut the door in the midst of the chaos. Like you know how it is when you sneak into the bathroom, your house is in disarray, and you're just like, let me just shut the door. <laughs> just get, it's still chaotic around you. I just got to get some space. I got to breathe for a minute, right? And what Moses was saying, not my kingdom, but your kingdom. What we need today, God, is we need on earth as it is in heaven. Because what we have to offer, what we, what we can bring to the table, it's so much bigger than us. It's so much, we need you to orchestrate something that we could never orchestrate on our own. This last week, a couple came up and young, young guy, uh, diagnosed with cancer, looking for a surgeon. So we, we prayed for them and I told them, listen, I, I, I have some friends in the medical field. Let me just talk to them and see if they know or can recommend a great surgeon for this particular deal. It's a pretty, um, it's a pretty big, you know, type of a surgery. And um, so we prayed and we're contending so that God would bring clarity. And, and his wife was really working hard to, to try to pick the right doctor and, and doing her due diligence. And so we prayed. So the, the, that night um, I went home and I called a, a dear friend of ours who's a nurse. She's, she's a high-level nurse and in Kaiser, and I said, hey, I, I need a recommendation for a surgeon for the X, Y, and Z. And so she's like, okay. She said, yeah, I, I got a couple of ideas. I'll be praying. Uh, I said, all right, awesome. Thank you so much. And so the next day, the next day, this couple, I, I get this text. They, they show up to the hospital to schedule a surgery, and who do they run into? They run into her, my friend. And, and it was kind of, they were on their way out, and she was kind of passing in the hallway, and somehow they got caught up in a conversation, and she said, hey, I was talking about you last night. Matter of fact, I was praying for you last night. And they're like, she said, do you go to Fountain? Do you know Pastor Matt? They were like, yeah. And so long story short, they were able to pray. It was like God saying, listen, my kingdom come. My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can't orchestrate that stuff. And for them, that was a solidifying factor that we're in the right spot. You can't, you can't, you can't make that stuff up. And sometimes I, I think that, that we fail to realize that what we really need is God's kingdom, not our kingdom. Are you tracking with me? And, and as long as Moses' hands were up, Israel prevailed. But when he lowered him, Amalek started to prevail. Can I just tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Is that intimacy will increase your capacity beyond your ability. Some of us, we have such a low capacity is because we're relying on our ability when God says, I'm able to, to expand that capacity, get close to me, and the game changes. Because here Joshua is in the midst of the fight, not trained, never, never stepped into a battle in his life, and he's whooping the tail ends of these Amalekites. Supernaturally. I think sometimes we just don't talk about the supernatural in a healthy way anymore. A lot of times it's either super extreme or not at all. 
But Joshua was fighting a very practical battle, and God is helping supernaturally in a very real way. I mean, look what it says. It says that Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his army with the sword. Can I just tell you that intimacy will overwhelm your enemies, but a lack of intimacy will overwhelm you. Because intimacy will expand. It will increase your capacity beyond your ability supernaturally. I mean, it's the same thing for the disciples. You guys remember the disciples that when they were stood before the religious leaders? These guys wanted to kill them. And it says they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, never trained. Why are they so bold? Why are they speaking so well? Ordinary men. And they marveled and took note simply what? That these men had been with Jesus. Intimacy. Increases our capacity beyond our ability supernaturally in a way that you and I just can't conjure up, in a way that we can't do it on our own. A supernatural strength. Notice how God did not remove the Amalekites. Just like I said last week, the battle's not going away. He didn't remove the religious leaders, He just gave them the supernatural ability to sustain in the midst of and thrive in the midst of their Babylon. And God was glorified, and they watched God move on their behalf. How do you think a lot of these guys were martyred and killed? How, many, how do you guys think that people across the globe with their faith are getting wrecked every single day? Like they're dying for doing what we're doing right now. God's not taking that away. Sometimes God delivers from the sword. Sometimes they get devoured by the sword. But there's a supernatural There's something supernatural that happens in the midst of all that that allows them to hold on to the name of Jesus. When all they have to do, they're one switch away from their life being spared. All they have to do is renounce the name of Jesus. But there's something supernatural that increases their capacity through this intimacy beyond their ability that allows them to stand and take the sword. That's that's the kingdom. That's, That's on earth as it is. In heaven, but we just don't talk about that stuff a whole lot. Let me let me show you what Hebrews one says. I'm almost done. I'm preaching a little bit long, but just bear with me. Regarding the angels, like when's the last time you heard somebody talk about angels? It says regarding the angels, he says his angels like the wind, his servants like flames of fire. Still speaking of the angels, goes on to say, therefore, angels are only servants, meaning angels are never meant to be worshipped. However, how many of you guys are encouraged that their spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation? Who what? Who are intimate. Who are close. Like, think about that for a moment. When's the last time you thought about angels being delivered on your behalf? We live not just in a very natural world, but in a supernatural world, ladies and gentlemen. It's really important that we understand this. So Jesus goes on to say, after he teaches them how to pray, he goes on to say this. He said, I also tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, this is where we, we're all like, yes, yes, get, I'm going to get what I want. Just got to keep going. Just got to keep, uh, just gonna keep pressing. Yeah, listen, God cares about your needs. And, and feel free. Man, tell him everything. But sometimes he doesn't give you what you want because it's not what you really need. Sometimes we're like, I'm just going to keep seeking and knocking like I know this is the guy. God's like, no, he's not the guy. Shut the door. 
this is the girl, man. I know this is the one. God is like, it's not the one. See, what if we started to look at this passage in a way of saying, I'm going to keep asking for your kingdom. I'm going to keep on seeking your kingdom. I'm going to keep on knocking. I want to receive what you have to offer me, God. I want, I want to find what you want me to see. I want you to, I want you to open the doors that are going to equal to an on earth as it is in heaven. Like I'm not saying don't ask God for stuff. Go, go ahead, but I'm just making sure, Jesus says, just make sure your priorities are lined up. Make sure you're thinking in the right way because when our life is lined up with his kingdom, that's our best life. That's our best life. So it goes on to say, and I'm almost done, he goes on to say, so your fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do they give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do they give a scorpion? Of course not. Jesus is like, you being sinful people, if you guys know how to give, give good gifts to your children, like, like how much more me? Like we know how to give good gifts to our children even though we're messed up a little bit, right? Like how much more God. Then he goes on and Jesus says this. He goes on to say, and you guys go, to the, he says, how much more will your heavenly father give blank to those who ask him? And it's at this point, ladies and gentlemen, that we look and we're like, yeah, give mm, that one. Give that. Yep, that's what I want. Give that. Like we want to fill in this blank with so many things, don't we? But I love his response. Look what he says. He says, how much more your heavenly father give what? Go on to the next one. How much will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Because what you and I ultimately need is the power and the presence of God in our everyday life. That's it. So many of us, I think we're disappointed because we're trying to build our kingdom. And God is gracious enough not to give it to you. What if we started to pray a little bit differently? See, if you're taking notes, you might want to take a picture of this. If you pray for your kingdom, you get more of you. If you pray for God's kingdom, you get more of God. And can I just tell you, this is what we need. This is what's going to shape your character. You, you want to know how to love your spouse better? Get more of God. You want to know how to do better in your relationships? Get more of Him. It's not about your kingdom. It's not about my kingdom. It's about His kingdom. Like you want a great perspective on family? Get more of God. You want God to help you with your generosity and your finances? Get more of Him. And you're going to see that God begins to chip away and little by little you become, as you're in intimate relationship with Him, you, you become and you start to look more and more like Jesus. I know sometimes we, we think about prayer simply of what we can get from God. And God says, yeah, you can bring all those things to me and we'll sort through them. But ultimately what I'm, asking, I'm telling you today is this. Ultimately what we need is we need intimacy. We need God. And he can be trusted because he's not a God that says, man, okay, just hurry, see what you can do to come up to me. He says, no, 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 I'm going to come down. I'm going to suffer a death that's on your behalf that you don't deserve. And I'm going to raise from the dead just to show you that I really am. Like, I'm alive. Like, you can talk to me. Like, my arm is not too short. My ear is not deaf. Like, you can trust me because I first gave it all. So you can trust to go all in and give it all. So let me give you one practical thing for, for Monday. So well, how do I pray? Where do I start? On the back of your 21 days of prayer, on the back of that guide, if you don't have one, you can pick another one up at the Next Steps tent. This is a great place to start. Start with adoration. Start with adoring God. Then you can talk about confession. Let God examine your heart dealing with some things that you're wrestling through. 
Thanksgiving be a great time in your time of prayer to have some Thanksgiving. And, and supplication is where you can make those requests on behalf of yourself, on behalf of others, that you can come to God seeking, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. This is what I see. This is what I'm going through. This is what's at stake. This is what's on the line, God. I need you. We, I need you in these areas. Like, you go for that. But I want you to hear me this. Many times we, we, we do here and we stop. And we never get to adoration, never get to confession, and we very rarely get to thanksgiving. We just, get me. And God's like, man, if you start here and adore me, holy is your name. It's going to build your faith. It's going to build your confidence. I'm set apart. And you could come close, Abba Father. It's intimate. So I'm encouraging you to do this today. That's it. Just, just take some time. It doesn't have to be an hour. Just take some time and get in a rhythm of adoring, of confessing, of thanking, and of dialogue with God of your needs and others' needs. Just start to build a simple rhythm. And I believe that in that rhythm, that, that it could be a catalyst for intimacy. It could be repetition. Don't go through the motions. But it could be a great catalyst for intimacy. And if there's intimacy with God, it will increase your capacity beyond your ability supernaturally and cause you to live in a way that you can never believe. Because what it's really about, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of the day, what we really need is the presence and the power of God in our everyday life. With that, we'll succeed. Let me pray for you.